Welcome to another edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry Howes. Thanks for joining me. I want to touch on a few things this time. Pre-holiday spending, a little Christmas spending, how that's going. Stock market reaction to what's going on with all the issues. And a little fear and greed, which are the basis of the issues. No drama in the numbers. There's been some corrections. The third estimate of the second quarter GDP came all the way in at 6.7, up from 6.6, which is fine. Don't be surprised that when we start looking at third quarter GDP numbers, if it came in at two. Frankly, this economy ought to be growing at about two, not six. And all the drama from the recovery of COVID is over. So, We'll get back to more sustainable numbers, two, two and a half, something like that. The initial claims numbers are getting more accurate, so there's a little bit of adjusting up and down. They're getting there. And the yield curve starting to look a little better. We'll get to that later. Consumers. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about, wow, look at the personal savings rate. Those numbers went through the roof. Yes, they did. A lot of people were getting stimulus checks and a few other things. They weren't spending, weren't spending on movies, eating out, so on and so forth. Savings rate went up. Fine. People are spending less. More people are back to work. Fewer stimulus checks. We're getting back to a normal. It's hard to say what a normal or what the savings rate should be, but it's starting to normalize. Fundamentally, as you know, there's still a lot of cash in the system. We're still coming up around $17 trillion in cash and savings in the hands of consumers. It's not flying out the door either. We've spent a lot of time talking about inflation, knowing it's not flying out the door, and that's a huge component of where inflation comes from. It's staying in the bank. Christmas spending, as it's normally referred to, holiday spending, whatever you want to call it, great gauge of how the consumers are doing. Well, the way that works is you take food, food services, auto, gasoline, that kind of stuff out. Certainly auto parts. And what you have left is holiday spending. And that is doing fine. It has been going up considerably all summer. It's been going up. It might be starting to slow. Amazingly enough, a lot of consumers have figured out that there may be a lot of things buried in containers out on the Pacific waiting to get into Long Beach, so they're buying while they can. Those are the same consumers that notice things aren't on the shelves regularly like they used to be, so they're planning ahead. I'm not surprised. Holiday season will probably turn out to be pretty good. We won't get finalization on that till first part of February. But the consumer is, has a lot of money, spending okay. Uh, going out a little more, show up to a movie every now and then, a few airplane trips. But they're out buying consumer non-durables, shirts, etc., etc., we haven't really resolved the foreclosure slash eviction issue. Currently, the administration is worried about the debt ceiling. So Fannie and Freddie reporting to Congress and everybody else, because Fannie and Freddie want to get out from underneath the Treasury's thumb and go out on their own, they've been reporting their fewer and fewer 90-day delinquencies. 
These people are catching up on the mortgages they didn't pay because their home is probably worth more than it was. We're having a great increase in prices, so they're not going to walk away from something that is worth more than what they paid for it. So delinquencies are down. We're coming into less than 2%. We don't know what the eviction numbers are going to look like. That has been ignored and put on the back burner until the current drama is over. And the current drama, well, it's not this. It's not people worrying that they can't afford to stay in the homes they have or the apartments they have. The actual costs and the ratio of income that it takes to stay in a home hasn't changed much in a long time. It's not going up now. There's no inflation here. We haven't seen a lot of implementation of rent increases. We're going to have some rent increases. We've already seen them. But the cost is very relative to what people are making. And a lot of, especially the low end, especially if you're in the $15 an hour minimum wage category, compared to two years ago, your income is up significantly. And it shows here. It still takes the same ratio of an income to stay where you decided you're going to stay. The market is sort of adjusted. It dropped, this is Monday morning, so it dropped about 400 points last time I noticed. It is adjusting down. This is the S&P, the NASDAQ, all of those guys have adjusted down. Don't look at this as bad news. Look at it as good news. If there was any pressure in the system, like we were getting a kind of an equity bubble here, it is being relieved every time this happens. And it's relieved because of this. We've talked about the earnings per share estimates and they flattened Wow, they flattened it. It actually went down. The estimates actually went down a little tiny bit. So in the light blue, what did the market do? Voomp. Oh, it's not growing at the same rate? I'm backing off. Okay, I'm backing off because there might be a debt ceiling issue. I'm backing off because the Federal Reserve might not be buying all the mortgages that it did. I'm backing off thinking, oh, there might be inflation and I'll be standing in a gasoline line. Well, pick an issue, but... Every time the market does a relief like this, it's certainly not a correction. It's good news in this kind of economy. There is the fear and greed chart. Every time you want to entertain yourself, go to CNN Business and find this. There's a number of little issues and algorithms they have that they create this from. And right now we're moving from greed, love that term, to fear, if not extreme fear. Pick your reason why you want to be afraid, but we're moving towards fear. So the stock market is a little sensitive. There's a lot of drama in the media. For those that track this stuff, every now and then somebody says, well, what does a yield curve look like? Well, the yield curve looks great. It's getting better. Every time the yield curve gets steeper, not flatter, steeper, it is an indication that people are willing to go out long with their money. They're willing to go out 30 years because, gee, they can get 2%, 2.5% on a 30-year note. Well, they're buying them. When yields go up like this, prices are down a little bit, but there's a lot more activity in the marketplace. So flattening means there's a lot of worry in the market. People aren't going out long. They're buying short, so on and so forth. Things look fine in the bond market. Everyone knows that the Federal Reserve is going to quit buying everything that comes out of the mortgage market, and it's fine. It's overdue. 
The United States government in all its stimulus programs has put more money into this economy due to COVID than the rest of the world combined. And this is just another area. They don't have to keep doing it. It's not bad news. Here's where we are. You know, Fed funds, basically money is, well, I shouldn't say free, but it's very, very inexpensive at the wholesale level. Federal Reserve is wholesale. Money at your bank, add three points. Buying a boat, add four more points. Okay. If the Federal Reserve were to stop buying all the bonds and actually raise rates, and if they were really aggressive and they went from, let's call it zero, to half a point, and that would be a huge jump, by the way. Wow, a 7.5% boat loan would be eight. A 2.75% mortgage would be three and a quarter. Now, I know a mortgage in the threes is bad news for a lot of millennials, but believe me, in the overall scheme of things, it's still pretty cheap. It isn't worrisome that the Fed might raise rates. The Fed should raise rates, not November, but March. March should be fine. Don't worry about it. The media will go berserk, but don't worry about it. Have a couple of people that are very interested in what's going on in farmland. Farmland values are going up. Eh, it's hard to say. Prices have gone up a little bit. Uh, soybeans mostly, because the Chinese have to buy all the soybeans. There's been a lot of equipment purchases, equipment sales. John Deere and Caterpillar are up, doing fine. They are also correcting a little bit. The agricultural industry in the United States is a little different from the rest of the world. We do better had a little less money. We're a little more institutional about it. Good and bad, we uh, don't let farmers disappear, but they might get bought out by a huge corporation. But agriculture in the U.S. is doing fine, and I can't say that for the rest of the world. But for all the states, I know a lot of people worry about, gee, agriculture is very important, but if you look at this chart, the lighter the color, the bigger percentage of the state's GDP is based on agriculture. And I think it's South Dakota, it's got a huge, large percentage, it's almost 7% of the state's GDP comes from agriculture. And it's dropped significantly from there. It's only 1.3 in California, 80% of the water, 1.5% of GDP. That's kind of the way it is. It's not like agriculture isn't very important, it is. It feeds all of us, it feeds all our Livestock feeds a lot of things. We're very good at it. We're blessed with great water, wonderful soil, also rare in the rest of the world. Agriculture is doing fine. And those of you that have been with us for a while know that we really haven't had any substantive money in China in over a decade. Well, there's really nothing there. But if there's any doubt in your mind, you hear about Evergrande and a few other things going on in China with problems may be brewing there. Real estate is everything to a Chinese consumer. It is the source of their wealth. It is the source of what they want. And if they have any money, they buy real estate with it. Right now, it's gotten to the point where it's almost 10% of their GDP. And that is a huge ratio considering consumer spending is a very small percentage of GDP in China. GDP in China comes from, well, some of that's debatable, but government spending local and national government spending. 
The United States has adjusted real estate, residential real estate, back down to where it ought to be, four or 5%. That's fine. Above that, uh, you're kind of in a bubble. So as some of these large corporations unravel and the real estate bubble finally unwinds in China, it is a little overdue. There's really no justification for it. You look at the relative ratios of debt and non-financial debt, meaning debt that isn't in banks or a lot of government debt. It's nearly what it is as a percentage of the United States. It's almost the same ratio as debt in the United States. It's not the same dollar amount. It's a ratio to GDP. And that's for an emerging, developing country, it's an astronomical number. Predominantly, it's this. This is from the Chinese database, and it was probably a little bit inflated because it's a very important piece of Chinese economic dignity and success. This is the typical wage of a factory worker in China. And believe me, there's 100 200 million of people like this, and they finally made it to $12,000 a year. I, I don't mean that in any sort of degrading way. I mean that you look at, are there consumers supporting all this debt? Are there consumers supporting all these real estate values, perceived values? Well, no. Uh, whatever happens over there is not going to have any impact in the United States. We don't have much exposure there. There are a few European banks that have a bunch of money in Chinese real estate. It's just not a thing here. Whatever happens, I wish them luck. And I think that economy will adjust back down to really where it does a good job. And that's the low-end manufacturing for everybody else. Okay. As always, send the questions along there to info at shwj.com. And thanks for joining me.